All right, I've got Bill Schneiders uh, with me again, and we're going to try, 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 try to wrap up uh, this, this, uh, all the things that we have to say about Sepulter's visit to the United States this year. And um, so, and then between podcasts, uh, Bill and I wrote down a bunch more notes of things that oh, we forgot to mention this, we forgot <clears> to mention that, we got to get. This. So it's like, all right, so I've got uh, a couple. I can't remember. Did I mention earlier about the Permaculture Voices Conference? No, I don't think you mentioned that yet, so you definitely should okay. take a chance to plug that. So that's coming up in March of 2014. Um, it's uh, uh, Michael Pollan will be a keynote. Uh, Joel Salatin will be a keynote. Alan Savory will be a keynote. Um, <coughs> the, uh, I mean, the, 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 the number of people that are going to be keynote speakers, I mean, just the, 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 the bigs, it's going to be definitely – oh, and Jeff Lawton, of course, will be a keynote. We're currently uh, talking about having Sepulcher coming and be a keynote, but it's like um, uh, that's proving to be uh, possibly challenging. Maybe it'll work out. I don't know. Um, and uh, and I'm not running the conference, but I, I've had a lot of long conversations with uh, Diego, the guy that is putting together this conference. He's already paid for the venue. He's already paid for some of these big speakers and um, and is covering all their costs to come in. Um, it's going to be, I think, the biggest permaculture conference that's ever happened. Yeah, um, Diego's really putting an all-star uh, team together. Though. That's like the you know 27 Yankees or the 86 Chicago Bears. That's like a, a who's who of permaculture all-stars speaking at that conference. And just so you know, I actually did send an email. I can't remember if I... Uh, CC'd you on it to Judith to just keep that date uh, in front of Sepp's mind on his calendar so that if he's, you know, if we happen to schedule a Holzer Agroecology training at that time, perhaps Sepp could make it down there to San Diego and do a keynote. Uh, or also there's a possibility he may be doing some individual consulting and will be here. And in that case, we'd love to get him down there. But she thought it was kind of doubtful, but that she would definitely talk to him about it and, and definitely try to push it because it'd be great to get all those great minds together in one place. Yeah, I um I the the big thing for me is that um I I mean I'm going to put everything behind this conference. Uh I mean <clears throat> I know that like with the Dayton event, um there was a PDC and then of course the Sepulcher event. And we've already talked at great length about Jack Spierko's response to uh Sep's visit, but um uh for the PDC there were a lot of my pod people that were there and they were feeling um like it, it wasn't meaty enough that that they felt like they needed something much meatier mm-hmm. than and, and a PDC is is designed to kind of cover the basics, right? And um and I could and I was when I was there I I kind of felt I I I got it I understood what they were talking about I think that there were some people there where um, they were not my pod people and um uh they they thought it was awesome they thought it was amazing. And mm-hmm. uh, at the same time, it was a Skeeter event. And um, uh, in this last conference in Missoula um, uh, a few months ago, uh, I, I, I thought, you know, I, I brought in some people that were, you know, pretty industrial strength speakers. And I, I asked Skeeter, like, okay, before I bring them in, is this like a, an event? Because Skeeter's, Skeeter, um, Skeeter refers to himself as woo-woo. Um, and, and he likes to uh, do the hold hands and let's sing songs. And I mean, you know what? There's, there is something really amazing about this man, uh, Michael Plarsky Skeeter. Oh yeah. And and just being around him, you feel good. <laughs> it's, it's like he's, he's a good guy. Got, 
he's just got such a good energy and and uh he and it's like i i'm not a hold hands and sing songs kind of person nor am i <laughs> but, but i'll tell you but, what he also he he sold me a bunch of uh raspberry canes from his garden at a, just a freaky cheap price um and he'd brought a bunch there he donated for for katharina's project but uh yeah. i bought i bought the remaining canes from him and they're all doing really well so uh and he was uh i think you had mentioned me once he's one of the best guys ever you've ever met when it comes to wild crafting and identifying, oh, yeah. you know plants in the wild and so forth so yeah uh, I, I had the he, chance to meet him for the first time at that event last year and I really liked him. You know, if you ask Skeeter, he says that, oh yeah, I do all right as a wild crafter, but I have not met anybody who has suggested that there's anybody that's better at it than Skeeter. Right, right. <clears throat> I, I, I think Skeeter is the man when it comes to wild crafting and, and, uh, and plus, you know, he's in a bunch of my videos. I mean, the camera just loves this man. But I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is, is that um, anytime you go to a Skeeter event, there's going, I mean, Skeeter just has this, he just loves to sing songs and hold hands and stuff like that. It's just part of what his show is. And, and so, um, uh, and I, 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 uh, I certainly enjoy observing it and I enjoy being with that crowd. Um, and at the same time, um, yeah, I, I, I've, I've kind of had my fill of holding hands and singing songs. I think, I think I'm good for several years uh, in that space. And I, I really, really want a conference with grit and substance. I want to go to a conference where it's like, what happens if you put Sepp Holzer right next to Michael Pollan with Joel Salatin, and these three guys start talking, what will come of that? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So Definitely be I, uh, interesting. Like I said, all-star lineup. If, if, uh, it, I mean, it's going to happen, too. Whether Sepp will be there or not, I don't know. But it's pretty impressive, just the lineup you've already gotten with those guys you just mentioned. I, I just, I just, and there won't be any singing songs. There won't be any hand-holding. And it, and it seems like a lot of, and a lot of permaculture people, I'm sure, are going to be pissed about that. Like, like what? Permaculture without the holding hands and singing songs? <laughs> and I want to be very emphatic. Yes, permaculture you know, I, I think some people can go out there and say permaculture includes the holding hands and singing songs. I think that that's fine. And you can have permaculture without holding hands and singing right, songs. Right, right, right. And I, frankly, I believe that for every person that likes their permaculture with the hand holding and singing songs, I think that there's 20 people that prefer their permaculture without that. I think, so, yeah, I think my numbers would be similar to people I've talked to. I have no problem with people that, you know, want to do that, but it's just not my thing personally. But if they want to go do it on the brakes and stuff, hey, go knock yourself out. Have fun with it. So I'm I'm really excited about the idea of having something that's a very professional conference with and and it's like and you're going to of course you're going to have to pay. I mean, you got to pay. I think it's it's currently like 800 and some bucks for the early bird discount and um I I think it will be um something like 1400 bucks at the door. I don't know what the other prices are. I've in I'd have to look at the site to know for sure, but I know it's 800 and something for the early bird discount. And of course, that money is used to pay the fees of the bigs and um you know, uh, cuz those guys charge to come. They're not going to show up if they're not paid. And and then of course to pay to fly them in and pay for all their housing and stuff while they're there and all those other things. Um, I mean, it's expensive to pull off something like this. Oh, trust me. I know. I had conversations with the, the other guys, you know, 
Chad and Zach and Mark, and that, that we had a lot of expenses that uh, we, you know, that we didn't expect, <laughs> kind of overruns yeah. and stuff that you don't think about before you do the event. But it's definitely it takes a lot of work and effort and time and planning and especially capital <laughs> to put these things on and get the right people here. And um, you know the airfare and travel starts adding up and, and everything. The, the lodging adds up. So I can definitely understand that and, and the fact that those people. Like you said, they are all all stars, and so they're not cheap to get there. Um, yep. So my hats off to Diego and to you. I know for trying to make that happen and put it together, it's going to be an awesome conference. I think I think the thing that I would like people to do is to go buy a ticket now. I I like the idea that within a month or so that that they can say, all right, we've already sold 600 tickets to this. Right. I mean, because then that makes it serious, and then it and then it also you know makes it so that okay, let's start talking about maybe this won't be a conference because when we basically the everything has been designed for 800 people to attend total, uh-huh. but I think it's gonna it's gonna go to 1500, and and so Diego was very careful in picking a venue where they had room to expand, but you know the closer we get to the date of the event then it's possible that we could say, okay, we want to expand, and they, they'll say, the, you know, we've hit capacity. You know, the event cannot expand anymore because we've sold all the other, you know, venue-ish things. Right. And so that's, that's maximum capacity for our, for our venue because, you know, the, uh, this other event is going on next door, and they've hit, you know, capacity, and the next event over is also, you know, grown up. So I kind of feel like, I, I, in order to see this happen and be real and whatnot, I, I want to see people buying tickets early. Right. Don't wait for the deadline for the early bird thing. Buy them right away. Um, so I know that when I when I heard about the very first permaculture convergences going on in the Pacific Northwest, I every year I was I bought the first ticket. Um, you know, I wanted to throw in my support that I will be there and that, um, you know, I support the event happening and I'm glad that the event is happening. Yeah. So. There's, there's such a demand in this and I'm seeing increasing demand just amongst the, you know, a lot of professional people living in the cities, you know, that, that haven't traditionally been farmers. There's a lot of demand and I think people see, you know, all the craziness that's going on in the world in different areas and they think, gosh, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea to save a little money and eat healthier and learn to be a little more self-sufficient, um, you know, for the for the purposes of being healthier and enjoying it. But also, because of the craziness in the world, it's kind of a good hedge to be able to at least be able to take care of yourself and your family. And I've just seen, you know, casual conversation. More and more people I talk to that are, you know, non-traditional Permies people are getting more and more interested in this, and they're willing to come spend some money and uh, and attend a conference like this where they can get a huge brain dump of information in a short period of time and, you know, start to get up to speed on it. So I think what we experienced at Holter Agroecology is the first couple weeks, um, you know, you know, people were trickling in and buying stuff, and all of a sudden, like third or fourth week, uh, when people finally kind of got wrapped their heads around it, they just, and we sold out, you know, within a week. That, that fourth week, it's like all of a sudden, it's like the old 80-20 rule, you know, 80% of the tickets were sold in that one week, 20% of the time. So I'm sure it'll happen with this as well, or something similar. Right. I And so, I don't know, I, I, there's so much to say about this. Um, I know that um, uh, Diego and I have been talking about this event for probably four months at this point. And and Diego has been doing an enormous amount of legwork, so um, I'm I'm just kind of thinking like 
like this event could really change um, uh, permaculture, like bring in a lot more people and also um, put a, a strong level of serious professionalism behind the word per, uh, permaculture. So this is, I, I believe this is going to be probably one of the most important things for permaculture, um, you know, to date. Yeah, especially, um, it's going to be in the San Diego area, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it mentions the the town. I've never heard of the town. Uh, it's, you know, it seems to me like you get down there and you just drive forever, and it's just you know this ongoing town after town after town. It's like this sea of towns. So I don't know. Yeah, it's down there somewhere. Yeah, I only mention it because uh, San Diego, you know, all of Southern California is one of the most densely populated areas in the country. So just the, the odds are you're going to have higher numbers of people that are interested. And also it's easy to get to by plane, by car. So I think that's going to drive help drive attendance as well. Well, and, you know, it's in, it's in March. And so it's like, okay, you've had a, a long, cold winter up in Montana or um, some other cold state. And... <coughs> <clears throat> Here's a little something you can do uh, to warm yourself up. I, yeah. I know that for for uh, this last event, for the couple of events I was down there, it was like it was warm and toasty and nice to get some sun and and some color and and uh, um, that was that was a treat. So I, oh, yeah. I think that's the smart time of year to do it. San Diego is one of the you know nicest places in the country, and especially at that time of year, it's you know the sun's going to be out every day, but it's also not too hot yet. It gets a little warm in the summer down there, and everyone heads to the beach. But in, in March, gosh, it's going to be beautiful. So um, uh, I want to set that aside. So now we've mentioned Permaculture Voices Conference. Um, we've got a big thread out of Permies that's very active right now about it, and um, the the full Permaculture Voices website. Very professional website, and they are um, uh, selling tickets now. So um, uh, I hope folks will, will pop out there and and uh, and take a look. Uh, moving back to our topic at hand, SEP's trip to the United States. Um, uh, Bill, you said you had something that you wanted to add from uh, was it the the, the Michigan part? Actually, it was the Minnesota, the, the last workshop of the tour, the fourth workshop of the tour um, out of Chad Johnson's place. And I mentioned that, you know, it was a great event. I, all the events I thought were great. There was uh, some were a little better than others, in part due to circumstances we couldn't control, like county permits and so forth. But uh, I just want to mention something that might be of value to some of your listeners, and that is that um, when I one of the days we actually got out a little bit earlier than usual, about 5:30 instead of six, and uh, I got back pretty quick. It was still light out. You know, you're pretty far north, and I decided to take a drive up the coast of Lake Superior, which is like you know the second largest lake in the world, uh, I think by size and by volume. Um, and so it's obviously a beautiful place. And what kind of struck me is that, you know, you've got this nice city of Duluth and a lot of activity there and your restaurants and entertainment and hospitals and all those things, universities. And then you go about 15 minutes outside the city and you're like in the woods, man, in the sticks. And there was just some beautiful uh, pieces of property for anybody that's out there looking for their future homestead or maybe looking to move outside the city and, and maybe have access to the city and everything it provides as far as jobs and entertainment and leisure and culture, et cetera, but also kind of have uh, be able to have an affordable piece of land where you could kind of do animal husbandry and permaculture and so forth. You might want to look in that area because um, if you go to like realtor.com or one of those sites and do a, a search, 
you know, from, let's say, Duluth or Superior or one of the cities just north of Duluth on Lake Superior and just do a 20-mile radius, it's unbelievable. There's some properties that come up in some real estate that, uh, you know, I mean, I saw stuff as low as 500 bucks an acre. Um, so you can get a nice piece of property for relatively cheap. And I found one place that was like had a house on it and 30 acres for like $40,000. Now, granted, the house needs a little bit of work, but... I guess my point is is that, um, you know, for those of us on a budget, you, you, you might be able to find a nice piece of property there. Now, granted, you've got to deal with the cold, and it's like Zone 3 in most of those areas. Actually, right near the lake, it's more like Zone 4, Zone 5, because, the, you know, similar to my situation on Flathead Lake, it's, it creates a microclimate. But uh, there's still a lot of long-term perennials and, uh, you can grow in Zone 3, a lot of berries, a lot of, a lot of things you could do. Um, and so it might be worth looking. You know, it's uh, somebody on a blue collar, uh, lower, you know, or even a lower blue collar budget could still afford a nice piece of property there, and carve out a pretty nice life just based on some of the prices that I'm I'm seeing online. So I just thought that would be worthy of mention. Um, you know, and and maybe someone who's interested could go do their homework and do some research. But it's an interesting area with a ton of water, you know, a ton of open land, and uh, if you're a hunter fisherman. I mean, it's absolute paradise up there. So something to think about. So, yeah, I I think that a lot of the United States has stuff that is um, – it can be a lot cheaper. I've I've heard that you can get like a four-bedroom house in Kansas for something like $40,000 and that there's all these empty places. And then, of course, hey, uh, you could go into Detroit. (laughs) You were just there. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm not sure, but I I believe you can get like uh, a full four bedroom house for like twenty five hundred bucks. <laughs> oh, there definitely is, and I've got some rental property in Ohio, and it's a similar kind of thing. But um, what struck me about that is it's the same kind of deal. You can find some of the same deals that you would find in Kansas or Ohio, but closer to the wilderness, closer to vast tracts of you know just beautiful virgin wilderness that is there's nothing there. And there's incredible hunting, fishing, all that. So, um, whereas in Kansas, it's a different kind of climate. Certainly, you know, Kansas is a great place too, and I've got cousins there. But um, you know, it's just for those of us that like the wilderness, that want to go out and, like we talked about yesterday, you know, tap a maple tree and get some sap, and then you know, catch a salmon in Lake Superior and shoot a deer all in the same day. You could do that in in uh, in that part of the country, in northern Michigan, and also well, all around Lake Superior, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Um, I spent some time in the Marquette area a year ago, and, and there's a lot of beautiful wilderness up there. And, you know, it's just a place to go where you can find some cheap land and uh, that is beautiful land, close to water, which is a big deal, and with fantastic hunting, fishing, and permaculture possibilities. Okay. So now where you are, you're near, you're near where the Dayton Project was last year. You're up on Flathead Lake, um, which is about two hours north of Missoula. Right. And and um, so for that general area, what do you say? What do you think property sells for per acre? You know, it's been a while since I've looked at it, but um, it can really vary depending on where you are. If you go to some of the areas like Kyla or Marion, that's a lot cheaper. Um, although I have seen some pretty good buys, what I thought were pretty good buys, right in Kalispell. Um, it's just you know, real estate in general is kind of a very irregular market. And by that I mean that let's say you have a three-bedroom, two-bath house, uh, two house that costs X amount of dollars. Well, you could have the same three-bedroom, two-bath house. It's very comparable. That's five blocks away. That costs two X or three X. 
So it's very irregular, but that also presents an opportunity for someone who's doing their homework and as a savvy investor. So if you're interested in moving to that area and you have the means to do so, you know, I would just go to a lot of these. Uh, you can accomplish so much on the Internet. Um, when I've looked at investing in property, and I'm, you know, I've done very little, but what little I have done, um, I'll go to Realtor.com uh, and then use Google Earth because on Realtor.com, you can put in the specifics. You can do an advanced search and say, I'm looking for this much acreage, you know, this kind of house, this much square footage, bedroom, bath, et cetera, and it'll kind of you know, do a search for you, bring up all the possibilities, and then you can narrow down uh, the ones that you think are the best buys that's kind of what you're looking for, and then look up those addresses on Google Earth and zoom in and see, okay, where's their water? You know, what's the slope like? What's the, I mean, if you really want to get advanced, you can use things like SketchUp, uh, which my partner Zach Weiss uh, is used and, and demonstrated to even get the, the gradients and so forth and to see how steep the land is. I mean, you can really accomplish a lot online uh, as, far as, as far as finding good deals. And so I'd recommend Google Earth and Realtor.com as a start to, to do your homework if you're looking for that sort of thing. Okay. <clears throat> um, I just, to me, it's like, okay, I, for the areas that I've been looking in, I, I've seen a lot of property where um, it's anywhere from less than $1,000 an acre to, um, you know, $10,000 an acre or, um, and, and uh, <coughs> um, <clears throat> some really, some, some beautiful properties, some less than beautiful properties, um, you know, w wooded, um, flat, etc. cetera. Um, and, you know, there's, there's just so many um, variables involved. In, in looking for property, but um, uh, one example was is I saw a 480 acre property, and I think it was three hundred and eighty thousand dollars for mm -hmm. 480 acres. So that's clearly less than a thousand dollars an acre. Right? Did it have a house on it too, or just land? No, it was just bare land, um, and uh, it, it had a, a, a an issue with it that um, was not okay with me. And and the issue was is that it was like a 480-acre rock. It was like one giant rock. I mean, beautiful uh, cliff faces everywhere. Um, it was it was just stunning to to look at and uh, to stand at the top of the cliffs and look out. It was amazing. And then you know there were trees on the property, so like the, wherever there was a, a, a draw. Some soil would build up a foot or two thick, and you know there would there would be trees, right. and uh, and other trees were able to like stick something into cracks in the rock and and get something going, but um, it's like yeah, there's no way I could build a wafati there. <laughs> it was like, yeah, yeah, no topsoil is, is kind of an issue. Um. Well, and, and on that particular one, but you know, I, I guess the point I want to make is that yes, there's there's you know, beautiful places to build in a lot of different places. The uh, the other thing is, is that there's that sound again. <laughs> you hear the beep? It must be a Skype to landline kind of thing. Okay, maybe so. Um, <clears throat> so I I remember during the PDC last year that somebody did their work and maybe it was Chad on on a property uh, in Minnesota and um, it, it seemed like it was um, on the uh, southern edge of a lake. So so basically, uh, it was a north-facing slope, and um, 
and and then during the presentation, I, I you know because they what they do during a PDC is you have to to make a permaculture design for a property. Uh-huh. So they made a design for this property, and um, and then I um, made some comments on their design, and and one is is to uh, you know it's something Tefa esque where you add texture to the landscape, but you know put in a hugelkultur bed that's that's got a shape to it to be a sun scoop. But the problem mm-hmm. is, is that when you make a sun scoop on north-facing slope, you've also created a frost pocket. Right. So tricky. So the thing I said was, is that you kind of end up having, if you're going to do something and you're going to try and do a sun scoop, it's like you've got to create two halves of the sun scoop, and in the middle there's a way for the cold air to flow through, and you've got to have a big enough gap. Like it's got to be a good six feet wide because because cold air is kind of this gelatinous goo and it's kind of big it's and and it needs big channels to go through and um so a little a little complicated i suppose it's possible that you could do a sun scoop and then put something uphill of that so that way if cold air starts to flow towards your sun scoop that you could direct the cold air around the sun scoop and and hopefully that'll take care of most of that problem. Uh, anyway, um, <clears throat> all right. Uh, uh, so real estate, uh, land, uh, getting started, stuff like that. Uh, um, yes, 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 and yes. And I, I kind of feel like you know that could be an entire podcast in itself. You know, the land hunt. Yeah, that's um, uh, it's an interesting topic. Uh, but it's kind of it's more interesting for me because you know I grew up in Southern California where. You know, land is crazy expensive, and, uh, you know, most recently I was living in Redondo Beach where, you know, a shack, a tiny shack will cost you a million dollars practically uh, if you're anywhere near the ocean. And, um, you know, if you move back a little bit, it's more reasonable. But still, it's land is very expensive. And, and you know, that was part of my, over the last decade, sort of, you know, gravitation towards permaculture. When I, when I saw how expensive things were and how hard people were having to work just to maintain a bare minimum, and how little that was buying them. I mean, literally like $300,000 will get you a one-bedroom, one-bath condo in Torrance, you know, versus 300000 can get you 400 acres of land in Missoula. And you, know, you start looking at that, and now granted, most people's jobs are in a city, but, you know, you have to ask the question, is it worth it? For the money that I would save, you know, better yet, I could spend $100,000 and get 10 acres in, in a house or something in, outside Missoula. I mean, I'm just throwing out numbers. I, I'm probably off slightly, but... The point is you get a lot more for your money in other places. And so, um, you know, it's something to keep in mind. And with the power of the Internet now, you can do your homework online. And if you're looking for a piece of land uh, that has water, that has all the things you're looking for, it's amazing what you can find online just from your living room without having to go anywhere and save yourself a lot of time. So, um, and, and you know, um, I, I, a conversation I need to have at some point, and I'm not sure – and I probably need to sit down and like scratch out some thoughts to have the conversation, make a podcast is like, uh, cause I kind of feel like with the land that I'm buying, I want people to come to this. And I think a lot of people are going to be like, okay, I've saved up $20,000 and, uh, and I want to, I want to quit the rat race. So I've, I'm out of debt. I got my money saved up. I want to quit the rat race and I want to go someplace and do permaculture and homesteading all the time. And, and so then, um, but but how how does it work? And it's kind of like, well, twenty grand doesn't get you very far. And it's like, okay, so if, let's say you want five acres, and, and maybe you're going to get five, you know, 
barren, fairly barren acres with, with no house on it. And it's like, okay, now I'm going to move on there and I'm going to start building my house. Um, and it's kind of like, okay, well, you need some money for that. And, uh, you know, you're, you're going to need some money from seeds and you're going to need some money for um, uh, uh, paying the taxes on the land. And uh, as you're getting started, you still need to buy food thing. I mean, maybe it could be the world's greatest diet program, you know. <laughs> Starvation but, diet. But, but 20 grand probably isn't going to buy you a chunk of land that's significant. I mean, um, because usually when you get down to, to smaller chunks of land, like five acres, now you're you're going to be paying like, um, you know, $4,000 an acre. So uh, 20, that, that, that works out to 20 grand, but it's like, um, that would be a pathetic five acres and um um and it's like oh i need something with a little bit of water on it uh, i need something that's gonna you know so then it's like rather than 20 grand you find yourself spending 50 grand to get a, a piece of land a bare piece of land where it's like southern exposure and and uh you know uh there's a creek nearby and uh, whatever else uh and and it's kind of like you know so now it's like you're gonna move on to the land but you got to pay a mortgage in order to you know it's like well i got to come up with that money Right. So, um, and then the other thing is, is that when you get onto the land and you start trying to do this stuff, it's a lot of hard work. Right. Um, and and it's kind of like, and then on top of that, you know, suddenly there's all these tools that you need for which you don't have the money to buy. And so it's like, well, I'm going to do a little horse trading, a little, you know, well, doing all that horse trading requires a vehicle to get you there and back. And it's kind of like, shit, this, the expenses just go up and up and up. So then I kind of think that with the, the thing that I'm putting together where I'm getting 200 acres, it's like one of the things I'm open to is the whole idea of like, okay, I am I like the idea that somebody can have two acres here and then they can be an artisan in seed and soil and I'd like to see their artistic vision. And then it's like, you know, so there would be something that would be paid for that land, but it's kind of like not that much, just right. just hardly anything. And, and then... Um, uh, then you know we still have our tools available. We have our support network available, and I, I just feel like somebody could. It, it, it's an easy. It's easier to get a start that way. And then for other people, it's going to be like they don't have you know um, uh, the the money to, to to make that kind of leap. And I'm not asking for twenty grand. I, I was thinking more like it would be like a grand per year or something like that. Right. Uh, probably not even that. You know, but. Um, but anyway, there's. Uh, um, I want to. I want to bring a bunch of people together that have like-minded stuff, and and I want. I, I think that for a lot of people, the idea of doing this with me would be um, way better than trying to to go out and do it on your own. Um, but but that's a whole that's a whole another podcast for another day. And I've already we've got a forum out of Permies called Paul's Farm. And we're starting to have those discussions. So, um, well, it's an interesting idea. I, and, you know, I mean, just like you're in the Missoula area, I can remember seeing, doing a search. Because out of curiosity, now, I'll look around in places that I'm visiting or places that are interesting to me that I, I think would be a good place to live. And I'll just do searches. And I can remember not too long ago doing a search in Missoula. And I was looking for just land. And I was getting a, a feel for what were, and there was a place in, I think it was Paradise, Montana, which I don't know, that's, I know it's outside Missoula a bit, um, yeah. but as an example, it was like 40 acres for $29,000, and I remember thinking, well, you know, like in your scenario, let's say you had 20 grand in savings and, and, and no debt, 
you know, maybe two or three people together could go in. Let's say three people went in together, and they each, you know, paid ten grand, uh, and they split up the acreage, so each guy gets, you know, uh, however many times three goes into 40, 12 acres or something, 13 acres apiece. Um, you know, that's that's an option, too. And then you own the land outright. You have no mortgage payment. You still got ten grand in the bank. And, you know, potentially you could still commute to, quote-unquote, a real job in Missoula. Um, and if you have no mortgage payment and you've got, you know, 40 acres to grow food, you know, you may not need that much to live on. So, you know, it's not for everybody, but for people that are looking for that kind of lifestyle, there's all kinds of creative solutions out there. And I have seen, Paul, even places where, you know, it's like five acres for, you know, $2,500. I've seen those kinds of places. And I've heard of people doing this where they'll maybe find an old, uh, you know, RV or something for cheap or a trailer. And, uh, I mean, one of the, the other partners I have in culture agroecology, Mark Lee, uh, one of his neighbors came in and, and sold him a trailer for, I, I think it was like $1,500 or something, and said, hey, you, you know, I'll give you a steal on it. I just want to get rid of it. And so Mark, had, you know, I think plans to build his ultimate dream house on his land, but it's a few years away. So he went ahead and bought that trailer, just towed it out there to the land, and, you know, uh, now he's got a place to live that's actually covered and actually has a place to store water and a bathroom and things like that and a bed uh, on his land. In fact, he bought another one. Um, because he found another great deal on it. So that's another way to get around it. And because it's actually not considered by the government a permanent you know, property, a permanent residence, because it's a trailer, it's on wheels, it can be moved, you're not paying property taxes on it. So I've heard of people doing that kind of thing too and just, you know what, I'm going to live in an RV for a couple of years, save up some more money so I can afford to build my house. But in the meantime, I can start working on the land right away and uh, you know, start, start permaculturing it and become an artist in seed and soil, as you say. So there's all kinds of creative possibilities out there. So that's just something I would encourage people. Don't get discouraged if you don't find what you're looking for right away because if you keep looking, it'll come up. There's a lot of stuff out there. So actually, this is going to be um, when we're, when we, whenever we finally get around to finishing this podcast, <laughs> the next podcast um, that I'm making is with Rob Roy to talk about his book, Mortgage Free, in which he advocates almost exactly what you've said. And in fact... He wrote this book like 10 years ago or more, um, where basically it's like uh, uh, you you work your, your day job where you are now, <clears throat> which you hate, uh-huh. and you, you build up <coughs> <clears throat> you build up your grub steak. right. And then, and then you take your grub steak and you go out and you buy a piece of bare land. and, um, and then, you have uh, on your bare land. You have your shitty shack, uh, and and so you you live in your shitty shack while you build um, a a good shack, something that will last like a, a long time, but it's really small. Um, and in the meantime, uh, you can. I mean, he's got like lots of strategies. One strategy is like, do you have a lot of money? Do you not have a lot of money? Yeah. So for depending on whatever scenario you, you're in, he's got a strategy for all these different scenarios on how to end up on property, building your own thing, and you never have a mortgage, and so you come out many, many dollars ahead. Oh so, yeah, if you if you're willing to be frugal for a few years and and really you know be aggressive in your saving, it's amazing what you can do and how quickly you can become free. I mean, I think Paul, I think like a year or so ago, I believe you had a guest on uh, Jacob Lund Fisker who wrote that early retirement extreme book. 
Um, didn't you have him on the yeah. show? I'm pretty sure you interviewed yes. him. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's awesome. Yeah, I mean, he, that, he was a guy that, you know, same thing. He came from Denmark over here, went to school, and, uh, you know, got a job and had a pretty good income as a, you know, engineer, but then realized... Physicist. Gosh, he was a physicist. Yeah, he was a physicist. So it's like, I'm making good money, I'm well-educated, I'm trained, but all my money is going for living expenses and taxes, and little by little, he just started cutting stuff out that really wasn't improving his lifestyle that much. And um, that's a very interesting book I would, I would recommend to people if they're looking to, you know, kind of become financially free and get off the, you know, get off the treadmill. That's, that would be a great place to start because uh, he was still living a, a high quality of life. He was just doing things he enjoyed and got rid of things that really didn't mean that much to him anyway and uh, ended up retiring very early. Now, when he retired, he wasn't rich, per se, by most people's standards, but he was making more money automatically passive residual income than he was uh, than, than, than his living expenses were. So technically he was free. Um, and of course, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, there's been a lot of books on this subject, the guy you just mentioned. Uh, so the information's out there. So for people that are interested, I would just start doing some homework because there, there is a pathway, uh, you know, there is a pathway that's already been trod by other people and you can, you know, learn from their experiences and save yourself a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, so we're going to have, I'm going to have a, that's the next podcast. I'm going to talk to uh, Rob Roy in great detail about that. But, all right, so um, uh, let's, let's move on. There was, there's another point that, in fact, there's two more things to talk about before we pick up where we left off. Mm-hmm. And so the next item I've got on the list is, is a thing that you mentioned that you wanted to squeeze in at the beginning of this podcast is, is Sepp Holzer a good teacher? And and I think the first point that you made, I thought was a really good one, was well, all right, a doesn't speak English, <laughs> and and so when you go to an event, it's like everything comes through at half the speed because it's it's going through the translator. And on top of that, um, the, the the person that's doing all the translating, it's like errors can be made, and so it's sure. possible that there's there's bits and bobs that that don't come through quite right. In the meantime, there's other people in the audience that also speak German, and they tend to shout something out when things are wonky enough. So That's true. Um, and, you know, Paul, and, the other complication is that I, I spent a lot of time with Richard on this trip, who's a fantastic translator and a super great guy, too. By the way, a little, little non sequitur here. One thing I forgot to mention about Richard yesterday is that he and his wife um, purchased an apartment building, I think it was about a year ago, and they permacultured the heck out of it. He's got all kinds of perennial fruits and vegetables growing that he offers for free to any of the tenants. They can go outside and grab a few apples, grab a few pears, grab some cherries, you know, cut off some asparagus. I mean, he's, he's got, it's amazing what he's doing there. That's a whole other podcast, too. You should interview Richard one day, but, so I won't go too deep into that. But one thing Richard told me about the translation issue is there's also things that, no matter how good a translator you are, there's sayings in German that just don't translate into English. We don't have an equivalent saying. Um, just like, and there's similar things in English that, you know, phrases or terms, things that we have that just don't translate into German. So you have to kind of on the fly try to think of something that's similar or related for a word that we don't have in the other language. So that's one of the other challenges. And of course, Seth is a very passionate speaker. He, you know, uh, and sometimes, you know, he's already on the next topic while you're still thinking of something of how to translate something that doesn't translate into English. So 
that's another complication you have. So, um, and these are all the vagaries and the challenges of, you know, having the teacher who, who is from a different culture speaking a different language. Well, one of the things I heard from translators was that, you know, uh, in German, there's high German and low German, and there's these uh, all these dialects. And so, uh, Sepp's from Austria, which... Um, like like trying to talk to uh, like if you're from Berlin and you're trying to talk to somebody from Austria, it's a bit like being in the United States and trying to talk to somebody from the outback of Australia. Right or Scotland or so. Something. I I've, yeah yeah it's like they're speaking English but you can't understand anything they're saying. Right and <laughs> and so um, my understanding is is that Richard grew up like kind of on the border of uh, Austria. So he's he kind of understands the different dialects between Austria and Germany. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so, um, but I imagine that even still, it's like, I, I, I think that there's going to be some people that uh, live in the city in Australia, and they can't understand people who live in the back country of Australia. Sure. So... Uh, um, uh, so my understanding is from from visiting with the, the translators is that a lot of them struggle with Sepp's dialect, and and uh, in fact there was one translator that was there in Bozeman who I think was from Bozeman or near Bozeman, and she seemed to um, <clears throat> not do well, and the, and the concern was that she didn't know permaculture, um, and and so uh, I'm not sure how much truth there was to that, but but yes, definitely Richard was the best translator, but. Question is, is Sepp Holzer a good teacher? I mean, I think we're all universally agreed the man is a genius, brilliant, saving the world. He is the mighty, the glorious, the amazing Sepp Holzer. But is he a good teacher? I, I think absolutely yes. But I do think there are times when things get lost in translation or culture. I think there's also times that, uh, you know, like any human being, teachers have good days and bad days. You know, sometimes Babe Ruth struck out and sometimes, he, you know, he hit home runs. It's, uh, you, you know, just the, the, the weariness of four weeks of travel and uh, being in a different time zone, and, and, you know, that can take a toll on you. But there is no more passionate communicator, and nobody I've met with the depth and breadth of knowledge and practical experience to go with that knowledge, not just book knowledge, but actual practical experience than Sepp Holzer. So, I mean, I would advise anybody, I'm a little bit biased, of course, but I would advise anybody who really wants to learn this stuff, uh, if you get the chance to be exposed to Sepp Holzer, uh, it may not be perfect all the time, but boy, you won't find, uh, I mean, it's like, you know, getting lessons on your jump shot from Larry Bird or something. You, the guy's a master in his field. He, he is, you know, number one on the Wheaton Eco scale. When you get a chance to be exposed to that, you know, you ought to take advantage of it. So, What about Jeff Lawton? I think Jeff Lawton's phenomenal, too. And, and you know, this is uh, what's interesting about Lawton is that because he is, he's also got a breadth of experience, and he is a great communicator. You know, he's, he's different than Sepp in some ways, but I think Jeff Lawton is an absolute genius, and he seems like a great guy, too. I, I, and I, I look at the stuff that he does. He posts those videos online, uh, which makes a lot of this information more easily accessible to people. Um, I mean, I'm just, I, I can't say enough about him. I think he's phenomenal. And he's also one of those guys that, um, you know, he just seems like his heart's in the right place. He wants to spread the knowledge. He offers a lot of information for free, kind of like you, Paul, frankly, uh, on, on Permies, and um, is just a great ambassador and a great uh, example of, of 
a great example for people in the permaculture world. And I, I would also say with him, anytime you get the chance to be around a guy like that, I would take advantage of it. Well, I, it's for me, I've, I mean, I've visited with uh, Sepp privately, and I visited with Jeff Lawton privately. And, and I've um, you know, been there for Sepp when he presents. I haven't met Jeff in person to see one of his presentations, but of course, you know, I've seen his videos and things like that. The, the, the wonderful thing for me in visiting with Jeff Lawton is, the dude speaks English. Yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely <laughs> Such an advantage. an amazing leap. So when I want to question Jeff Lawton on something, you know, like swales in the north, as well, swales in cold yeah. country. Yeah. And it's like we can have that discussion and we can get right down to the nitty gritty. Yeah, but and you're it, not going to lose things in translation like you potentially could uh, with someone who speaks a different language. Because it seems like about a third of the time that I try to engage in a in a difficult topic with SEP, a third of the time, it just, the whole conversation takes a hard left into crazy town, and I don't know what the fuck just happened. <coughs> and so it's kind of like, uh, well, I guess we're not having this conversation because now SEP's pissed off, and I have no idea why. Uh, he said some stuff in German, and the translator says, yeah, he's not going to talk about it now, or whatever, you know? Uh, and it's kind of like, uh, I have no... I, I, Yeah, there's just too much wonkiness going on. So it's it's hard. It's really hard. Um, so... Yeah, it can on, be. It, now, it can be. And, I, you know, by and large, the translators... Uh, not by and large. I mean, I'd say 100% of the time, in my experience, the translators have done a phenomenal job. But, again, it's just... It is a difficulty when you're, you're this passionate, you know, energetic guy is, is you know spewing forth all this stuff, and you're having to translate immediately real time, and he doesn't always give you a lot of time to, you know, if you get stuck on one one thing, there's not always the time to to slow down and explain that, and some stuff just gets lost in translation. It's just the, the nature of the beast. And like Richard shared with me, there's things that don't translate from German into English, so it's really hard for the translator to have to try to think of something equivalent on the fly that would, you know, help it make sense. So it's definitely an advantage. Uh, I think it's definitely an advantage when it comes to just uh, you know, understanding and ease of conversation to have a guy that also speaks your language. Um, but I would also say it's worth the effort <laughs> because Sepp is such a genius, and there's nobody I know in the world that I've investigated who can, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that Sepp does that are amazing, but when it comes, if I had to pick one thing, since we talked about yesterday that hydrology is 70% of the battle, if you get the water balance right, you're already 70 70% of the way there. I think there's nobody that does lakes and ponds and waterworks and hydrology like SEPT and has the depth of understanding and practical experience in building hundreds of these things of all sizes that he has. And for that, for that alone, I think, you know, be, you know, don't walk but run if you get the chance to go see him live. So uh, when, uh, um, when talking to SEPT, when trying to have a dialogue with, with SEPT, I think that when, when, of course, he's talking and everything's slowed down because that's has to go through the translator, then we all need to be patient as we wait to slowly, very slowly, hear what Sepp has to say. And I think that when the translation goes the other way, I think Sepp quickly loses patience. Um, you know, it's like, I've got more important things to do than listen to one person talk to me or question my stuff, you know, and, and or ask me, you know... I, 
so, something like that. So I think I, I think that, uh, and, and I think he's got license to be less than patient, frankly. And um, but at the same time, it, it adds a challenge to the the teacher level. And, and I do, I just think it's different. It's it's like um, uh, it is something where you've you've got to be prepared to work to get the information out of SEP. You don't have to be prepared to work to get the information out of Jeff Lawton. And and when it comes to a lot of these techniques, I think that um, uh, you know, how does Jeff Lawton compare to SEP? Uh, um, I I think that uh, uh, that Jeff's Jeff's getting close. I mean, Jeff's working on some pretty big projects now. And well, you know, it's interesting. The last couple of videos, um, I, I've seen more and more of an emphasis where Jeff is building more ponds, uh, particularly like the, the second one that he just released for free online. It was the uh, uh, property checklist. If you notice the way he looked at that property, analyzed it, looked at the contours of the slope and how, okay, we could put a dam here and a dam here and a dam here. And he's got some great graphics people that kind of showcase that. And then it shows him, hey, I can connect all these dams so that I've got a spillway from one pond to the next. So in a water event, I'm capturing all that water. There's overflow channels. The overflow channels, you know, hydrate everything along the way. And it's just a perfect uh, following of of one of the first permaculture principles that make water take the longest, slowest path off the land and do as much work for you along the way as, as you can make it do. And I think that his videos just beautifully illustrate that. But it's but as I was watching, I was thinking, wow, this is getting really closer and closer to SEP. This little design is looking more like the Kremiterhof, you know, than than other designs I've seen. So it, it's really yeah. Jeff's Jeff's an up and coming, and and I mean he's always been for years, uh, ever ever since the Greening the Desert videos, his his stuff has been profound and strong. And of course, Bill Mollison basically turned the official permaculture empire over to him. So yeah, it's kind um, of like he handed him the reins, and uh, you know, and <laughs> I just I can't say enough about Jeff Law. I think he's fantastic, phenomenal. I've learned so much from him personally, and I think all his videos are just incredibly good. Um, you know, both the ones I've purchased, you know, like uh, Introduction to Permaculture and Building a Food Forest, and then also the ones that he's posted for free online, uh, most recently the, the Property Checklist and the, um, I guess the last one was, you know, Designing Five Acres. I mean, it's just good, practical, relevant stuff. So, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, to me it's like comparing, you know, Magic Johnson or Larry Bird. I mean, it's like six one-way, half dozen other Ford or Chevy. When it's between like him and Sepp, they're getting very close. Sepp obviously has more experience; he's older. Um, but you know, if you get the chance to be exposed to any of their stuff, you know, you'll, you won't regret it. So, um, uh, are we good? Are we good to wrap up this topic? Uh, is Sepp Holzer a good teacher? You got anything more to add? I would just say emphatically, yes. He's absolutely the great teacher. Um, but there might be some language challenges occasionally or some translation challenges, but, you know, and, and this is why I strongly recommend his books also. There's nothing like coming to a live seminar and meeting the man and seeing his passion and hearing his wisdom, and especially when it's a hands-on project where he's doing something and you get the chance to witness that. Man, that is like a special experience, and I would recommend that to everybody. But I also think that a great way to enhance your workshop live seminar experience would be to get his books and read them beforehand, particularly the last two. You know, the first one was great also, but it dealt a lot with a lot of his legal issues and, and just the unbelievable bureaucratic crap he had to deal with in Austria. Um, but the last two books, Seth Holzer's Permaculture uh, and the newest one, Desert of Paradise, you know, I've read both of those and they're fantastic and they've got 
all a lot of his meat and a lot of the things that he shares in, in conferences are in there. And if you could get those and read those beforehand, uh, I think you'll get a lot more out of the workshop because you'll understand some of the things he's talking about that maybe, you know, for a lot of people, we talked about this yesterday a little bit, but when you're organizing a workshop, you know, you get different kinds of people. And there's some people that are coming in there with basically no knowledge and they're trying to learn. And there's other people that, you know, already have their have their uh, permaculture design certification. They've been practitioners for years and et cetera. And so it's hard to kind of satiate everybody there. And some of the things that SEP says are so advanced that, like you talk about, you know, they sound kind of crazy to some people. Or it's like trying to teach a first grader calculus when they haven't even learned addition and subtraction yet. And so there is some of that. And I think by reading the books beforehand, you can help bridge that gap. Uh, not, not that everything SEP says is so advanced that a, a, a permaculture neophyte couldn't get it, but there is a little of that. So I would recommend reading the books because there's so much meat in there. And then if you have the chance to attend a workshop, uh, I would definitely recommend the, the, the books first because you'll get more out of the workshop. But both are a phenomenal learning experience. The books are good. The videos are – I mean, the books are great, actually. And, and so the advice that I've been giving regularly is to say uh, – if if you have less than two acres of land, you want to get Toby Hemingway's Gaia's Garden. If you're going to buy only one book, if you're going to buy only one book and you have less than two acres, get Toby Hemingway's Gaia's Garden. If you mm-hmm. have more than two acres, you get Sepp Holzer's uh, Permaculture Book. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you're going to buy only one book, um, and then if you're going to get two books and you got two acres or less, I would say get those two books. Gaia's Garden and Sepulter's book. Uh, if you've got less than two acres, if you've got greater than two acres, I would say get Sepulter's book plus uh, Bill Mollison's big black book, uh, the, the Designer's Manual. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I, I think those are those are my recommendations at this time. Uh, and 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 then on top of that, for for just proof that it works, for inspiration, I think nothing comes close to the three-in-one DVD uh, that's got. Sep's three half-hour videos on it. Oh, yeah, um, I would agree. They're like, what, 13, 14 years old now or something like that, but they are still, you know, the, the Timeless. go-to. Yeah. Timeless. Yeah, and also oh. I'd strongly recommend the newest video because that's actually got more information on the waterworks and sealing lakes and ponds than I've seen on any of the other videos. Um, and it also talks about, you know, some urban permaculture projects. And it was kind of, uh, it was really interesting. Uh, on the video, they interviewed this school teacher in Russia uh, in a school in Moscow. And I guess it was on the outskirts of Moscow. But a lot of these kids, they've all been raised in the city. And she said, you know, they're just like they've lost contact with nature. They would trample on earthworms and rip out flowers and throw stuff at each other and just trample all over the garden, you know. And they just didn't have an appreciation for it. And then Seth came in and basically did a urban permaculture project there um, that also included uh, a, a water feature because uh, they had, I guess, like a couple hectares of land uh, that was, you know, kind of owned by the school, but they weren't doing anything with it. And so he put this waterscape, built these gardens, and she said it's amazing to see the difference in the children because now it's like they protect those earthworms. They put them back in the soil because they know that they'll, you know, help 
create better soil and and help fertilize the garden and so forth and you know they they care they're their plants the kids think of it as their plants their fruits and vegetables and they take better care of it and they have more of this sort of respect for nature uh, and for each other uh, and they don't trample on snails and or, or, or worth earthworms anymore and she said it was really amazing to see the transformation there so they talk about some of those things but then they also show some massive broad acre permaculture projects uh, I mean like one project in Kazakhstan right now, Seth's working on is 10,000 hectares, which is like, what, 25,000 acres or something, or 24,000 acres? I mean, yeah, massive stuff with housing yeah. projects that, you know, every house is on the water, and waterworks that go, so, you know, he's doing everything from the urban permaculture thing uh, to these massive projects, and it's, it's a really interesting video. Um, I think you, you saw part of the video uh, in Bozeman, I believe, I think we showed it on the first day of the event. Right, right, right. And they said uh, so they, there was some kind of problem in customs or something. Like they brought a stack of a hundred of them to sell to people or whatever. Yeah, and, that uh, was. Yeah, unfortunately, um, they they got it got held up in customs. There's all these issues. We're still working through that. I think they should be delivered shortly. Uh, I think to Zach Weiss up in Bozeman at the Holzer Agroecology uh, kind of headquarters up there. I think we're, we they should be offered for sale shortly. So hopefully we'll get the customs issues uh, taken care of quickly here. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right, maybe so. we'll post something on permeates when those videos are available. Um, we'll, we'll let people know. Um, one, so, so here we are. We're, we're damn near an hour into this podcast, and, and we haven't yet finished the list of things we wanted to squeeze in at the beginning uh, to, that, that we left out up to this point. <laughs> so we've got one more thing to squeeze in, and, and maybe this will go a little shorter, and that is that, that you had – you wanted to convey something that was really good that was said um, up at the uh, the Sage Mountain Place about wind versus solar. Yes, yes. I see. I told you I was fully caffeinated today, so we're we're getting. Uh, <laughs> you and I all can always talk for hours on stuff. Uh, we're talkers, but um, yeah, that was that's an important point. And you know, I won't belabor the point too much, other than to say that you know, traditionally, I'd always thought that hey, in my future self-sufficient homestead, I'm going to have solar and wind because the two are very complementary green technologies, right? You get more sun in the summer and more wind in the winter. You get more sun during the day, more wind at night. So it's good to have both if you can manage that. Uh, and so that was always the thought that I would have, and I still think that. But uh, after visiting Sage Mountain Center and talking to that guy and his wife, uh, he, he said something to me. It's just kind of an FYI. It's not a deal killer, but it's an FYI, and that is that um, a wind-generating turbine is a lot of maintenance, and it's a lot more than you think. That thing's constantly spinning all the time. Um, at least in their environment where they're kind of up in the mountains and they get a lot of wind and you know it generates a heck of a lot of free electricity but it's also a lot of maintenance because it is a moving part unlike the solar panel uh, there's moving parts and that turbine's constantly turning and you know screws and bearings and things wear out over time so just something to be cognizant of that maybe if your budget only allowed one technology versus the other initially, maybe you start out with solar because it will be less maintenance. And then as time goes on, you have the budget for it, then maybe you add wind to complement the solar. So that was just my only thought. It, there's just more maintenance involved than, than normal. But it also, it's not, you know, it's not crazy, overwhelmingly expensive or laborious maintenance, but it is more work than solar panels. So just an FYI there, it's worthy of mention. So now, uh, for a lot of the wind systems that I've seen, 
Uh, you know, people complain about how much noise they make, and for a lot of the wind systems that I've seen, uh, they they were pretty much silent. Um, most of them, it's like I didn't hear them at all, but this one I did hear. Yeah. And it, it could be because there may be some bearings that need to be replaced or something like that. Um, and he was saying that, on, you know, some years it's like you want to take it down once a year, but it sounds like um, there's also times when you need to take it down a little more often um, for for this or that. <clears throat> but it did sound like there was there was a little bit more work. And, and I, I think the important thing to note is that uh, they've been up there off-grid for over 20 years. So um, uh, this is this is a voice of experience, and it also sounds like this is kind of like a big. It evolved into being a big part of his day job is to uh, help people do you know off grid power uh, installations. Yeah, um, he's. I mean, I think when the time comes when I build one of those on my own, I'm definitely going to give him a call because he does a lot of training and education and consultation, and you know he's one of those guys too that is also a practitioner, not just a theor a, a theoretician, but a practitioner, and has been you know utilizing that technology for himself and his family off grid for I think close to a decade. So uh, that was actually one of the highlights of the trip. I thought that was really fascinating to go up there and see that, and, and not only the energy efficiency, the the, the solar and the wind but also the off-grid building with the cordwood and the straw bale, which we talked about yesterday. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Um, now, let's move back into um, uh, uh, continuing with, with our, our, our stuff, continuing with the podcast. Um, and and uh, uh, we've, we've talked a little bit about the pond near the house. So back to the property in Bozeman, <clears throat> the pond near the house. <clears throat> Sepp probably gave three different talks in, po in Bozeman where he talked about um, Siberia is more free than the land of the free. In fact, he did comparisons with all sorts of countries, and, and he was really livid pissed about um, uh, how we call ourselves the land of the free. But it's like that's, that's just a, a layer of marketing over the reality, which is that we're more restricted than like most other countries on what we're allowed to do. So, um, uh, and I thought it was going to be pretty much like our restrictions are probably pretty much the same as in Austria, but but his position was is that that's that's not true. Um, that was interesting. Yeah, to get his perspective from a foreigner coming here and saying that. And it was a little disconcerting, actually. Um, but I think he's speaking from the heart. It's, uh, you know, he says, I go to Russia, the land of the gulags and Stalin and, you know, uh, you know, execution of citizens that you had during the whole communist era. And he says, there, I can do whatever I want. Things are actually more free right now. And there's less bureaucratic red tape and regulation. And then I come to the United States. And he mentioned some other Western European countries, too, that, uh, you know, there's so much red tape and so much regulation and I got to talk to him a little more about this in Minnesota the last night. He said, you know, you need some laws so people don't abuse the process, but it's become so overregulated and so much bureaucratic red tape, you can't get anything done. It's, it's just it's paralyzing, you know. And he said uh, he was still you know, ranting about the, the Bozeman situation in Minnesota on the last day after the workshop. He's just saying, gosh, I could have transformed that whole thing. Uh, and, of course, this was to the translator that I was talking to him because my German is not that great. But he said I could have transformed that whole thing so quickly with that water coming in there, and it would have been such a beautiful waterscape. And, you know, I think he was just frustrated that he could have done so much good and felt like he was prevented from doing so, you know, for a lot of reasons, which we already kind of hashed through yesterday. But hopefully in the future, I know Zach's going to keep working on it and the landowner, and hopefully we can have him back in a year and, 
we'll have the permits in place and there'll be no issues or no, uh, you know, no danger of fines or anything and we can actually do the project uh, that he wanted to do, which I think will be much more similar to Dayton last year. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, <clears throat> um, I I believe, of course, that um, the the thing to do would have been. I mean, you know, he wants to build a ten acre pond or a five acre pond, you know, lake. Uh, and and I and I kind of felt like the thing to do is like, dude, these people want to see some earthworks. Just build a quarter acre pond and seal it. Show them how that sealing process. That's what they really want to see. It, it doesn't have to be huge and elaborate. Um, in the end, he settled on building. I mean, he made he made lots of pits, um, and and then they put in that well thing that we already talked about, and uh, and then he made um, he kind of kind of made some hugelkultur beds, and and so now I, I guess the next thing to talk about is those hugelkultur beds, and um, <clears throat> this is something where I was kind of like not I, I was less than charmed. Uh, so they kind of had when we arrived um they'd already built some hugel culture beds they were small they they were only like 2 feet tall or so and there was a lot of wood resting on the surface um and that, they were okay and and so um but there was so much going on and and in fact I'm trying to like look at my notes here to see if I'm covering anything um you know, I, I think what I want to do is I want to I want to go back to talking about there was yeah there 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 is one thing before I talk about the hugel culture beds. Um, there's this there's this thing that I said last year that he validated and it was um and it's like I and and we talked about it in podcasts already because it's an important point mm-hmm. and we were on uh, 94 acres I think it was 94 acres 94 96 90 some acres yep. And um, I had to ask the question, I believe, three times. Uh, the first time, it ended up being like a bunch of I don't know what. And the second time, it was like still not making it through. So then I think in the end, I finally asked the question of like, could a student, is it possible that a student of Holzer Permaculture could earn half a million dollars a year on this property? Yep. And uh, And his response was, at least... And and then he went on to say that he pays more than that in taxes for the Karameter Hof right. for the food on on the Karameter Hof. Yeah, yeah. And, <coughs> so then uh, you know you and I verify that we heard him say that, and I think I also recorded a podcast with Jack Spearco where he also verified that he said that. Yeah, I was sitting right um, behind you when you asked that question. I remember thinking, "Wow, that's just—it shows the possibilities." And and, and so, I think that there were people recording, but of course, he's got this weird thing about recording uh, what he says. It's it's like he uh, like he utterly forbids it, and then people record uh, stuff, and um, then he he doesn't go and slap the, the camera down or anything like that. I you know. And so I think it's uh you know it's it's this weird bizarre thing where it's like he's worried that the people of the United States are very litigious and so he doesn't want to say something and then somehow get sued in the United States for whatever it was that he said. 
Well, so, I can tell you that, that that issue came up uh, during this you know tour as well. And the issue is not so much that he cares so much. He he wants to actually disseminate the knowledge out there. But the issue is that his publishers, he's got some legal restrictions as to what can be done. And then the big thing was uh, somebody in the past apparently had videotaped him at a free event where he was speaking to the public and then basically edited it to suit their agenda versus the truth of what Sepp was trying to convey. It became a real pain in the butt for him. So he had to go back and, and then, you know, people were accusing him of saying things or implying things that he had no intention of implying because of this person's editing. And this happened actually in Europe. So that's the reason why those two things. Number one, it thinks can be edited or misedited to convey the wrong meaning. And he doesn't want his name attached to that. And number two, you know, the contractual relationships he has with his book publishers and so forth about, you know, information that, that they had issues with it. So that's the reason why he, he will approve certain people in advance. If you write him a letter saying, hey, this is why I'd like to film you. Here's why. Here's the audience it's going to go to, if any. And, you know, I promise not to edit anything out or inject my own stuff. Then he'll usually grant you the permission if you give him enough lead time. So we actually did that with Holter Agroecology. And we've got a guy, Mark Leave, who's actually a fantastic professional photographer and videographer um, and has actually even done you know he's done a lot of professional stuff and won awards for it so he actually filmed the entire uh, workshop uh, every workshop from California uh, well not the one in Michigan but California and Montana and Minnesota were completely filmed and also filmed Sepp's speech to the uh, Duluth uh, County Board of I forget what their official title is, but the city council folks talking to them about this issue of, you know, all these extra layers of bureaucracy and, and, you know, laws and so forth that are so strict, they prevent you from doing anything. And that video, he did tell Mark, Mark told me this, texted me on his way to the airport and said, yeah, Seb's talk was amazing. And he told me right after he was finished, you can go ahead and post that one on YouTube. There's no restrictions on that because I want people to know that, you know, we need to start talking about this issue and get it fixed. And the only way it's going to happen is to get enough people aware of it so we can enact that change. So anyway, just that's a little background on why he has the, the videotaping policies he does. Right. So, <clears throat> um, uh, so the big thing was, and, but then in, in the thing a year ago, there were people videoing, there were people doing audio recordings. And so I think, you know, there's probably enough evidence out there somewhere that, that he um, did indeed say that. So we've got it somewhere, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and we can put it up there as, as proof, you know. And so um, uh, there, there's that. But this time, then, like you say, you got this guy that's like got all this professional, you know, big video equipment. Unlike, unlike the kind of video that I do, <laughs> this guy had the real thing, and and so he's got this professional video equipment, and he's clearly doing something big. And I thought, ooh, I want to ask the same question, but this time have it end up in like whatever you guys are going to do with this video, um, because with such big equipment, it's like. You gotta justify the expense of hauling out the big equipment and going to so much trouble to do all this. Right. And to justify it, the way to justify it is later you're gonna sell a DVD or you're gonna sell something. Probably. Probably. So, so it's like, oh yay, this is gonna get republished. And so I'm sure that if I can get him to answer this question, it's such a powerful thing that that would end up on whatever it is that's gonna be done. Mm-hmm. So, um, I. 
I attempted to ask the question again, only this time it was that same thing. Um, it's like, oh, I'm all baffled. It's not working out. We're not answering that question. You know, and it's like, so I never got a clear answer. I tried asking it a couple of different ways, and I got I got nowhere. And um, and so then when it's uh, just Sep and I and a translator um, over at uh, the Sage Mountain thing, then um, I'm... I'm visiting him. I'm saying, I, I explained to him, dude, I'm, I'm trying, I want you to say this on video. So that way it's, it's going to be a, a public record or, or it's going to be um, seen by people. So I'm, so people, people who think I'm a lying sack of shit can then see it coming out of your pie hole. And, and then it becomes, you know, fact, Sep said that, Here's the video. You can see him actually saying it. And um, and his response was, is that I don't want to say that on record because, you know, if I'm standing on that property and I say, you know, you can make this much money, then uh, and then they go out and they try and they don't, then they can say, okay, Sep, I sue you because I didn't make as much money as you said I would make. So now you owe me that money. Ah, uh, so he was concerned about the legal ramifications of it. And my response was, wow, the German language must suck compared to English, because in English, I can say, I think a person could make up to $400,000 a year on this property. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's like, I'm not, which is totally different from, I promise that the current landowner will make this much money per year. Yeah, it seems fairly I, benign to, uh, you know, <laughs> just you're, you're basically, you're not guaranteeing, yeah. you're just making a theory. If, yeah, you're saying, I, you know, I think it's entirely possible versus I guarantee it or I promise or something like that. Right. And, and so, um, you know, so I, I said my point. And and then we're back, and, he, and for the third time, he's giving this speech about how Siberia is more free than the land of the free. And and it's like, uh, and he started saying, like, you guys need to have the courage to say the things that need to be said. And everybody's like, oh, applauding, yay, oh, that's brilliant, yes. That's, and I'm thinking, what the fuck, dude? Why don't you have the courage to say this thing about how much money you can make off of the land? You're, like, dodging it. So I, I kind of got a little pissed off right then, and that's when I started, like, that was that, that last day. And, and it's like, okay, he's not building the pond because, you know, the, and it's like the way that you build the pond is you don't go ask for permission. That would be silly. The smart thing to do is build a small pond, less than a quarter of an acre, et cetera, and um, and then you're done. And then there's like, if you build a big berm right there, there's probably like a 5% chance that anyone will ever see it and report it. And then you have to pay a fine. And by the way, the fine is less than um, the, the, the permits. And less than the cost and, of litigation. Well, I mean, no. It's like if you've gone and if you were like, I'm going to go get a permit to build a pond. And it's like, well, then you, it's going to be $2,000 worth of permits to build your pond. On the other hand, if you just go ahead and build the pond 
and then you eventually uh, they find out and they come down and they find you. It's like five hundred bucks. Well, if that's true, then yeah, obviously it makes more sense to you know build it and ask for forgiveness and pay the five hundred bucks. But I've heard some nasty stories, and I haven't been able to validate them or, or double check them, but from pretty credible people that the fines can be much more nasty than that, and that sometimes they find they find you on a daily basis until you fix. The, Absolutely. The whole $10,000 a day thing. Right. Yes, that's true. You go to a stream with fish in it and you fuck it up, then yes, it's true. They'll fine you $10,000 fucking dollars a day until you take your dam out. Now, does this creek have any fish in it? Not a one. Right, right, right. So it's not, uh, yeah. Not only is it a seasonal creek, but there's already a guy shutting the water off to the creek 100% every summer. Yep. I mean, this this creek doesn't have these issues on it. So, note the important difference. Right, right. There's a very important difference. Now, he's electing to fear the $10,000 a day in a scenario where you're not going to get the $10,000 a day. So I explained it to him twice, and then he starts doing this thing where he's waving me off. He doesn't want to hear anymore. And well, maybe it was like, the property man. I mean, I, I don't know. I can't. I don't know all the details, and I don't know what he was thinking. So I can't really. I'm not right. educated My enough point, to comment. But it does seem kind of strange. But you know, maybe the property manager, uh, the property owner, already said that. You know, look, until we get the permits, and I'm, I'm totally convinced that what Paul's saying is in fact true or what you know the the what i've been advised by my attorney whatever there's just a lot of gray area there so i don't know it seems to me i mean i'm with you i would have done it uh, if that was the case i would have done it in a heartbeat but you know maybe there's more to the story and maybe the landlord didn't want him to do anything else until you know she got something in writing who knows bet you bet Nin- 95 lawyers out of 100 would give the exact same advice do not build a pond don't put cattle on this land. Don't do anything other than go to the mall to spend your money and don't forget to root for the home team. <laughs> do nothing. Do not innovate. Yeah. And, and you know what? I think, I think uh, that those lawyers have a very good point. If you want to not get involved in a lawsuit ever, then don't ever fucking do anything. Just just sit at home and masturbate a lot with the curtains closed. That's it. You can watch television if you want. You can be subjected to advertising. That's fine. But do not innovate. <laughs> now, on the other hand, Sepp is telling us to have the courage to change the world. Have the courage. And I kind of feel like you know, hey, dude, A, I mean, granted, he has the courage. He's doing it. But on this particular case, I kind of feel like he's not having the courage. And I wish that on this particular case he had a little, but he didn't. And I was a little disappointed. I expected him to be the lion. I expected it. And he wasn't. He was a kitten. <laughs> and. And it's like, you're right. Maybe it's possible that the landowner was totally throwing a hissy fit, and he's like, I don't want to fuck with this shit. Maybe that's, maybe that's what was going on. I, did, I don't even remember who the landowner was. I think she talked at one point. She looked like a young woman, like maybe in her late 20s. 
Um, that's all I remember. Um, so who knows? Maybe that's what happened. And and then and then her her lawyer's advice was, you know, and maybe that's what it was. Lawyer's advice. Lawyers lawyer said, do nothing, do not innovate, don't do anything interesting. Um, just whatever's there, leave it alone. Don't change anything. Just just don't. Anything that you do could attract the attention of somebody wanting to do a lawsuit. Play it safe. Do nothing. Do nothing. Yes. And and I kind of I like Art Ludwig's approach. You know, make the change that you know is right. Just make the change. Find a way to get that change in there. And if you get fined, you get fined. If you get, if, if it's going to be something like that, then deal with it. You know, but but it, by sitting on your butt and doing nothing at all ever, nothing's going to change. You've got to have the nads to stand up and do what needs doing. Yeah, well, I, I do know that uh, that was one of the things that was still bugging him in Minnesota because we talked about it. But you know, there must have been some pretty strong forces at work because uh, you know he is the rebel farmer. He's not afraid to take a stand, and you know, to the point of where you know, if you read his first book, he almost lost everything. Uh, that that case went all the way to the Supreme Court. Uh, in Austria, so and he ended up winning, um, and but it could have been a very different story. So maybe he just felt that's not his battle to fight. He's out of his element. It's a different country, and because he did say several times, if it was me, I would do this. Um, but you know, you have to respect the, the rights of of the local laws and the local landowner. But it was frustrating to not be able to do something like that, which really would have been a great example to to everyone there and a great learning experience. So, um, so there's 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 my frustrations <clears throat> um, uh, about some things. This podcast will continue in part five.